Hello and welcome to the Busyness Podcast. My name is Emily Austin. I'm the founder and CEO of a London-based PR agency called Emerge. I'm passionate about launching and scaling small businesses and have been fortunate enough in my 13-year career to work with some of the most exciting, category-defining brands in the world. I started my business when I was 22 years old, fresh out of university. Since that time, the world has got louder. Our expectations have become greater and our lives have become busier. Fobbing friends off with the stock answer we've all become accustomed to, I'm so busy, is an attempt to compel, conflate and convince. But when did being too busy become a mark of status? Why is the goal to never have any free time? And just what the fuck is everyone doing? Are we setting unrealistic expectations for future entrepreneurs and business owners by encouraging them that a maniacal approach to diarising is the standard? This podcast aims to give you a realistic, detailed insight into the honest stories, the failures, the triumphs, the intricacies, the mistakes, the comebacks, the fuck-ups from those set to make their mark, the leaders, movers and shakers, trailblazers and game changers. We cover imposter syndrome, hiring and firing, call-out culture, anxiety, global growth, daily routines and knowing when to quit, choosing the best in the busyness to help you cut through the noise and optimise your success. I'm so excited to be able to capture this conversation with the inspirational MD of L'Occitane, Alia Hawa. I was so looking forward to hearing her story and absolutely not disappointed. A mother and businesswoman, Alia cares so deeply for those around her and has not been exempt from the horrors of the last 18 months. We talked about tears, switching off, grafting to get noticed, how investing in relationships pays dividends and how to care for a business even when it's not your own. To give you an idea of scale, the L'Occitane Group is comprised of six leading natural beauty brands and a global network of more than 3,000 retail outlets in 90 countries. That's a lot of people. Alia explained to me how her day runs, how she keeps doing it all despite being so busy, and what lessons women can learn from each other to continue to push boundaries in the boardroom. I'd love to uh, kick off by you telling me a little bit more about um, L'Occitane as a brand, um, what what you guys are, what you do, and then a little bit more about your day-to-day job as as MD. So um, L'Occitane, I think, is a very unique uh, beauty brand from Provence um, that really creates sensorial bath, body, skincare, and fine fragrances products formulated with really high quality and natural ingredients. It was founded in 1976 um, by Olivier Bosson, our founder. And at the time, he was just 23 years old. And he really started in a very simple manner. He bought an Alembic, so a steam distiller, to um, create some essential oils that he would sell on markets in Provence. So that's really how the story started. And the brand really captures, when he founded the brand, it was really capturing the ingredients, the scents, the landscape uh, of Provence, which really takes inspiration in its roots in Provence. But I think what is important is that 
he not just founded uh, this natural, lovely, beauty, cosmetic brand, but he also immediately founded uh, important values and commitments. And they basically fall into two key areas, people and nature. And these two key areas are really the foundation of our six commitments. So we have six commitments at L'Occitane, which are respecting biodiversity, supporting producers, reducing waste, empowering women, care for sight and celebrating craftsmanship. And those values really define the brand, I think, alongside, you know, those those iconic products that we have, such as, you know, the shea butter hand cream and so on. So, um, yeah, that's that's for L'Occitane. Um, and within my role uh, as the MD, I would say that, you know, no day is the same, really. My day-to-day is uh, pretty much minute-by-minute and a very back-to-back agenda because I touch on every single area of the business and that's what makes the role so interesting. So I cover, you know, I touch on PR, marketing, retail, wholesale, so very operational uh, areas and departments, but also... uh, you know, cross-functional departments such as finance, HR, and so on. So I really have the 360 of the business, which really makes the role very fulfilling and interesting. And what I find extremely exciting as well is that every decision that you take has a direct impact. So you really measure um, the success of what you decide. But then I also have a lot of interaction with L'Occitane International teams, um, people from the Geneva head office, the marketing team, for example, but also people outside of the L'Occitane, uh, L'Occitane UK and Ireland organizations, such as, you know, we are part of the French Chamber of Commerce, uh, we're part of the British Retail Consortium and so on. And we also have, you know, all our, our clients. So uh, it is quite busy um, and, and very varied. So it makes the role really interesting. Yeah, and I read online, and I'm hoping that Google didn't betray me, but I wonder if you can verify this for me, that the L'Occitane Group is comprised of six leading natural beauty brands and a global network of more than 3,000 retail outlets in 90 countries. So the group, obviously, um, a huge global operation. I mean, you know, in terms of your role, all these functions that you just listed, how do you structure your day in terms of knowing, you know, is it a case of you're firefighting and so it's like the thing that's, you know, uh, the loudest you've got to deal with? Or do you do you get time to really properly plan? Because those that list of functions is so broad that you need completely different attitudes. You're also working presumably with very different people. The PR team are going to operate very differently to the finance team. So you've got to sort of amend and change the way that you interact with people how do you structure a day to make sure that you're getting through a to-do list um and and actually being productive i think it's a really good question a tough one to answer because as i said no day is the same really but i start my day i have you know an agenda that is very detailed and as i said minute by minute so it's structured and i have some really reoccurring meetings uh, business reviews uh, for each department in each area. Like, you know, we have a retail business review, we have um, a wholesale business review and so on and so on. So there are some recurring meeting that we, we're going through on a weekly basis. Uh, but then, of course, you need to keep a certain flexibility because you have also like, you know, emergencies or, you know, very important topics. So I would say that my agenda is very structured because I have to and I touch on very different topics every day. 
But of course, you know, I have to also like make some time available from time to time, you know, for emergencies or even if I have like an important call with Geneva. So, um, you know, you have it's a bit hybrid, but it's every day, you know, I check my agenda and I'm like, okay, nine to 10, 10 to 11. So it's quite detailed and quite structured. Mm. And presumably you've got very good GMs, heads of department, et cetera, who are showing up to those meetings uh, and working collaboratively with you, right? As a, as a, in a sort of managing director role, that detail, there's an expectation that your team are delivering that back to you, right? Just for, for anyone who might not be as familiar with, with the, the MD role. Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, I have 10 direct reports, um, director of retail, HR director, finance director, uh, head of marketing, digital and so on. And uh, I mean, all those, you know, I'm very lucky because uh, they all are very talented and expert in what they do. Um, And I think what is really important is that they also work extremely well together because you can have like a very skilled uh, and very talented uh, head of marketing. But if they don't work extremely well with your head of digital, then you're going to have like a team that works in silo. So I think that's really important. And we every week we come together as a group uh, and we exchange and we share on what's going on. So um, they work really closely together. So that's really important. Awesome. We talked a moment ago about the very broad list of functions that fall under your job role. I would be uh, at risk of being presumptuous. I assume you've not worked in every single one of those departments in your career, from HR to PR to finance, uh, etc. What were you doing before you started this job I know you've obviously worked with with the business I'd love to hear more about your journey to the role here and a little bit about the you know the experience and perhaps even the moment where you felt that you were ready to jump into this role because we hear a lot in the rhetoric around women in business particularly about barriers and you know this is a a massive job and it's um really interesting and inspiring I think to lots of women that it's sort of possible to to take a role like this so I'd love to hear more about your experience and then kind of how how it came to be that this was the job that, that you're doing so I started quite uh, I mean you're right no of course you know I, I it's impossible you cannot have touched all the functions that reporting to me because uh, you know you probably need several lives but uh, my background is really more commercial marketing um, I started in, I mean, my first experience really is Clarence, where I forged my first experience in the cosmetic industry. But then I joined pretty early on L'Occitane in 2006. And I joined uh, as an area manager in charge of uh, Eastern Europe, uh, the Eastern Europe region that, you know, it was really enjoyable at the time because I was super young and traveling in all those countries that, you know, uh, you probably wouldn't have visited before, like Kazakhstan, Azerbaijan and so on. So I really keep amazing memories from this period. But then I took really increasing responsibilities at L'Occitane. I grew through the ranks and um In 2016, I was promoted as a general manager for export and travel retail for Europe, Middle East and Africa. So that was already a quite big role. And I was 35 years old. And, you know, I had, I think, you know, that time for me was um, really amazing. I was, uh, you know, I was fulfilled in this role, but I had almost done 10 years at L'Occitane. And I, 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 I thought, well, maybe it's time for me to get out of my comfort zone. You know, I had lived all my life in Geneva, where I was born and, and raised and grew up. 
So I, uh, I actually went out of my comfort zone and I moved to London and I, I worked, um, I was hired by a coach, the American fashion brand as their senior regional brand director for Europe, Middle East, Africa, India and Russia. And I was also in charge of distributors and travel retail. So it was also like a very, um, an amazing experience. I touched on a very different industry. Uh, but then, you know, I had always kept really close and really good relationship with L'Occitane, with the group, with with its management. And when the role of managing director for the UK and Ireland became available, um, I think the appeal to go back was too tempting. And, um, you know, it was very obvious that, you know, it was an absolutely fantastic role, uh, a very different step for me. And um, yeah, and then I joined again in May 2019. And I think really time flew since then because, you know, it's already been more than two years. So, um, and lots, lots has, has happened in, since then. Yeah. Well, I definitely want to talk to you about the last year in a minute, the year that, the, the year that we all went on walks, I yeah. think is the way that it will be described. Um, do you, do you speak multiple languages? Um, yes, I do, because, um, I mean, as I said, I grew up in Switzerland and at school very early on, you have to speak because we have four official languages in Switzerland. It's a tiny country, but uh, in a way with quite a lot of diversity. The biggest part is German speaking. We have, of course, the French speaking part where I'm coming from. We also have the Italian speaking part and there is a tiny uh, language uh, a bit more from the from the rural uh, region and and parts of Switzerland but yes so I have um, of course French is my mother tongue English uh, German a bit rusty but uh, yes I also have Italian origin so I speak Italian and a bit of Spanish so wow that's I mean I can barely speak English so I mean that's incredibly <laughs> impressive um, <laughs> The, uh, do you remember the day that you were offered the job? Do you remember finding out that that, that it was yours? And, and were you were you sure? Did you leave the last interview sort of thinking, yeah, I've nailed this? Or was it sort of a bit tense and it was a surprise? I mean, to be really honest, I think they were a bit tough on me because and, and, and rightly because, you know, I had left the brand um, two years before. I really wanted to learn new things, touch on a new industry. Um, and, but that role was really a step change. And in a way, I think that if I probably didn't leave L'Occitane, I wouldn't have had this role. And it was perfect in a way that I was already based in London. You know, I had lived in the UK for two years and they made me go through a lot of tests. Like, you know, like I was like, oh my God, they actually, they completely changed the recruitment process. So, you know, it was almost like starting from scratch and it was good in a way because, you know, I went through like any other candidates through through um, a real recruitment process and and and, and formal applications so um, the tests were challenging and um, I think at the time the HR said you know I was like a good challenger because I didn't have that experience of managing a local market and the UK and Ireland is considered as a really key market for L'Occitane it is a big market there's you know 83 stores in the UK and in Ireland uh, we have also like a, a strong business online. We have a, a quite uh, important wholesale distribution and important uh, uh, business as well with QVC. So it is really considered as a, as a big business. So uh, I wasn't sure that I was going to have the role because I was considered as, a, as an interesting challenger. But uh, when I when I got the news, I was just, you know, I was beyond myself and 
I was just delighted because um, it was, you know, as I said, the role is, is so fulfilling and you touch on everything. You have the 360 of the business. And um, yeah, but it's very different in a way to my previous roles at L'Occitane because we we have a bit that that autonomy for the UK and Ireland that is really enjoyable and you have that direct impact on the market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a trust thing, isn't it? That you feel you know the business trusts you to make those decisions so you sort of feel feel more capable of of doing them yeah absolutely Um, I think it's also you know really good advice because a lot of people won't apply for certain jobs because they're like I don't you know I don't speak that language or I haven't technically worked in the stores or I haven't technically done something and actually I think you know to your point it was of interest to the business that perhaps some of your experience did differ and I think sometimes we make uh presumptions about the hiring and recruitment process and I know in certain industries they're they're um it's very box ticking and it's very hoop jumping and if you don't have the right cv you kind of get chucked in the bin but I think more and more now businesses are more inclined to work with people who have shown and demonstrated a real commitment to the business and have a genuine interest because the cultural piece is so integral to how these businesses continue to to flourish with that in mind are there do you have any advice for um perhaps someone who's in a large business that has aspirations of uh being more senior or potentially you know taking uh lead in a certain country do you have any advice about how to be seen earlier on in your career um you know the obvious one being sort of do do a good job but which may be your advice but you know is there anything from from your experience that that you would be able to share yeah definitely I think I realized really early on that you know the competition was tough out there because my first day at uni I remember and I was like oh my god there's 700 of us wanting to sit in this theater and there were not enough seats. And that really marked me. I was like, okay, I'm going to have to take some steps to really, you know, be seen and, and make a difference because there's 700 of us. So that was my first day at uni. And that day I decided, okay, I'm going to take a job on the side because if I'm just, you know, succeeding and, you know, having my master's degree is great, but there's going to be hundreds of us in four years or five years time that will have, you know, the same degree and the same master's degree. So I started to work and I was doing several jobs, you know, on the side. One of them was I was a hostess at the Motor Car Show in Geneva and Clarence was sponsoring us. So I was like, great, I'm going to chase them to get a job, which I did. So um, very quickly on, I took the contact details of the the director for Switzerland who was sponsoring us. She was a, a really nice lady and poor her. I mean, bless her. I was chasing her basically every week to get you know, my first job at Clarence. And I think at the end, she was just tired. I mean, I never showed up at her house. That's probably too much. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, that, would really... be, that would be considered too much. Now, <laughs> yeah, I think. yeah, that's really too much. But no, I just insisted. And, I, and finally, I got the job. And one thing leading to another, then we were sharing offices with L'Occitane. And I was like, okay, what is my next step? So then I approached my current boss and, um, and yeah, I managed to, to, to get a role at L'Occitane. And I think once you have the role and once you, because you're stubborn and you, you, you really insisted and you're not giving up, it's really about, you know, constantly giving the best of yourself. Um, you know, it's really about, um, and then for me, it was about 
pushing my team and, you know, making sure that I was also ready for my, my, my next step. So really, you know, trying to promote my team and, you know, make them grow and preparing and making sure that, you know, I was ready for, for my next role. So, um, and I think the last thing is really is, I mean, maybe it's easy to say that because well, I have a great role and people will think, oh yeah, you know, she has a fantastic role. So that's easy. But if you do things really with your heart and with passion, it will shine through your results. It will really make a difference. And hopefully it will also irradiate to the team and cascade down to the team. Um, and yes, and then you have, you know, people that are definitely more engaged and will will give, you know, your team will also give, you know, uh, above and beyond and, and will give their sweat and blood to, 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 you know, to achieve the results. So I think that's really important to put all your heart and, and put passion in what you do. Yeah. And it's a great point because I think we hear so much about founders and CEOs starting passion projects and often being personally, um, impacted by the lack of something. So, you know, we all know that, uh, necessity is the mother invention and everyone kind of stumbles upon something and says oh my god I can't believe this didn't exist and it's sort of born from that but I think in my experience I've worked with you know been fortunate enough to work with some really brilliant MDs and I'm interested as to and perhaps you've just answered it but I'm interested as to whether you think that that energy and passion for for an M, for, for an MD is the requirement is greater because it's not because you're not the founder and therefore you're having to sort of carry the mantle on. Do you think that that's more of a challenge or do you think that um, if you're a founder and CEO, perhaps you need to be more of a, a, a leader with the passion? I mean, I definitely see, I mean, you know, I haven't founded my own brand or, or business, so I can't really tell, but, you know, listening to Olivier Bosson or, you know, to other entrepreneurs definitely you know there's an amazing drive and and passion in that and i think if you are going to be an md you also need passion and drive but it's a slightly different passion and drive because what i see is that you know our founder has this had this vision and had this passion you know for creating products inspired by the nature and he had a vision for the brand and my passion or my drive is actually to translate this vision for the brand and make it relevant to the local market that I'm in charge of, so to the UK and Ireland. And it's that passion and drive for the team. So I really have, you know, I, I think I have that passion and that drive as well, but it's a different passion. It's a different drive and it's really driving the team, but also making sure the brand is relevant to the market. So really kind of almost translating his vision of the brand to the markets. And bearing in mind the brand was founded in 1976, how difficult is it to continue to remain relevant as a business now in 2021? Well, I think it's a really good question because when I joined the, the brand in 2006, I think L'Occitane in a way was very pioneer because there were not so many cosmetic brands with a retail concept. You used to shop really your cosmetic products in a department store, um, for example. So L'Occitan was quite pioneer and disruptive in that. And, you know, the question of relevancy is important because today the, the, the competitive environment is very different. It's a much more crowded landscape. There's more and more cosmetic brands that have also retail concept and want customers to shop in their own, you know, environment and, and, and you know, that they can really experience the DNA of the brand. So, 
I think for us, what has been really key is for L'Occitane to really remain true and authentic and to remain true to, you know, its core values, its origin. For example, L'Occitane is still produced and manufactured in Provence, in Manosque, where it all started. So that's just extraordinary because your customers, I mean, our loyal customers, they know that all our products are still manufactured. I mean, most of our ingredients are still handpicked, harvested in Provence, and then they are produced, all produced and bottled in Manosque. So that's, you know, quite incredible. And if you remain authentic, I think your customers are really going to absolutely love that. The other part is that L'Occitane is a committed brand and, you know, has had, you know, all these commitments from the very beginning Every everybody now and every brand is talking about, you know, biodiversity, reducing waste. And L'Occitane, since 1976, has been doing that. Our founder in the early 80s, everybody thought he was crazy because he was asking his customers to return their empty bottles and he would drive them himself to a glass factory in Manosque. So he was already, you know, recycling in a way. And today we have... Uh, with TerraCycle, a recycling bin in every single store in the UK and in Ireland. So our customers can still recycle. With it. It's just a system that has changed, but it's something that stayed with the brand since 1976. I think the other part is really in terms of product and innovation, because L'Occitane is really, and I when I listen to our R&D director, it's really fascinating because he's saying we have the biggest lab on earth. It's nature and we really take inspiration from nature and we're constantly innovating. So I think um, um, also something really special about L'Occitane is that we are really studying the ingredients, the flowers. Uh, for example, immortal flowers is, is, you know, I mean, we're still researching about that and it's one of our key range at L'Occitane and it's really rejuvenating and it's a miracle plant. Um, and now the, the immortal super extract that we've just discovered is 100% a natural alternative to retinol. So that's quite amazing. Um, and yeah, and the last thing I would say is really the quality of the product, the, the sensoriality, the fact that, you know, if you if you put the, the, the product on your skin, like, you know, the almond mint concentrate, which is one of my favorite, it melts into the skin, you know, the smell is just delicious. So I think that sensoriality is really something that, you know, our customer absolutely love. <clears throat> yeah, and I think it's interesting, the parallels perhaps between Clarence and L'Occitane is that they're both they both are products that are probably handed through generations you know my my mum used flash balm from Clarence my mum used certain products from L'Occitane and now has the you know delicious almond shower butter uh, oil that heats up when you rub it on yourself and you feel like you're in a spa and I think there's that you know in a way that something new brands can't access because they don't have the time frame you know, through which those products would have been sort of handed down or passed down. So I think there's obviously, you know, benefits to that heritage as well. And I do, you know, Noxitan prides itself on being natural and has talked openly about not using, you know, not knowingly using palm oil and, and things like that. And I think those topics are now very trendy and lots of new brands have sort of hijacked them to be part of their their narrative. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's interesting that that's actually sort of woven in woven into the fabric of the DNA of 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 your business. Absolutely. Um, 
we can't really talk about running a business today without talking about COVID, the, the, the C word. Um, you obviously have had this current role for around two years, you mentioned. So, you know, you probably didn't have a huge run up before being slapped with a global pandemic. You know, you're, you're a bricks and clicks business. You've got stores and you're online. Um, you've also got a large team that presumably had to be remote. You've probably got... Uh, shipment issues, warehouses, you probably had Brexit thrown in there at some point as well, um, maybe EU packaging laws evolving. Tell me a little bit about some of the challenges in the last year or some, and I mean, I laugh about it now because it is, it sounds so absurd as I say it out loud, because it's kind of mental that you sort of would have actually had to do that. But, you know, tell me a little bit about what the last sort of 18 months has been like. I mean, I will try to make a, a quick summary. Um, I thought that when I was, I mean, when I was joining, I really thought, oh my God, Brexit is coming up, you know, that's going to be like, you know, really stressed about that. And actually, you know, we, we almost forgot about Brexit for a while because then, you know, there was a bigger storm coming up, which definitely was COVID. I mean, you know, it's difficult to 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 describe it because L'Occitane, we are a retail brand first. So we have 83 stores across the UK and Ireland, 500 retail associates. And almost overnight, you just have to simply, you know, shut down this business. And I'm not even talking about the importance of the turnover that we generate from those stores. I mean, most of our business is really coming from the retail stores. So... It's just, I mean, you know, we've always been doing things about, okay, you know, reviewing every week, competition, you know, the promotions we have. You completely forget about that. You, you just switch on survival mode for a while and you're like, okay, how are we going to brave the storm? How are we going to survive this? Because my business is over 70% is coming from the retail sales. And, you know, initially we thought it was just going to last two weeks. But no, it was then months and then it was like, you know, and it's been going on for, as you say, for the past 18 months. So I think really the key challenges were, you know, to shift our business to online and to other channels, which we we, we did. So we really shifted the business to e-commerce, web partners, QVC, and shift the focus of the teams as well. Because you can imagine when you have 83 stores and 100 people working in the, in the head office, you know, there's a lot of people working on retail. So we had to really adjust the focus of the teams to working more digitally. So that was, you know, the first thing. The second thing is you're constantly dealing and navigating with that uncertainty. Things are no longer predictable and you just have to live with it because no one was expecting the third lockdown in December. And, you know, we were telling our teams, don't worry, you know, at least we're going to have a good Christmas. At L'Occitane, you know, we basically work every day to smash it at Christmas because Christmas is the time of the year where we work and roll. So, and then suddenly on the 19th of December, and you already had, you know, you've already lost the entire November, 19th of December, you just have to close your all your stores again overnight, basically. So dealing with that uncertainty and, you know, the facts and, and just learning to accept that things are no longer predictable as you normally would, would expect. And really the first thing was, I think the team motivation, because, you know, of course we, we kept the business afloat and we've done the best, but 
importantly, if you want people, you know, to carry on, you know, working and doing a good job and, you know, be engaged with the brand, we need to look after them. And that was a very important piece because you have some people in London that were, you know, in tiny flats, completely feeling completely isolated, um, lonely, uh, far away from their family. And and for us, really, the the, the, the challenge, and I, I hope and I think that we, we've done it well, it was really to keep that team motivated together, you know, binded. So these were really, I mean, just to summarize, because, you know, we could speak hours uh, about yeah. COVID, but these were really the key, the key highlights. Was it difficult for you to stay motivated? Because presumably, in addition to your, um, your 10 direct reports, which were probably, you know, pretty depressing <laughs> at that time, you know, you've also got your own targets, and you want to make your own impact on the business, and it be a success. Presumably, there was a moment where, certainly in your finance meetings, you know, all the numbers changed. And then presumably in your global meetings, everyone else was sort of on their knees as well. And as you say, you know, I think Christmas was, you know, everyone's sort of hoping that this year it'll be different. And, you know, it looks like it will be, but that was really devastating for, for people who thought they could maybe make their money back in Q4 and that maybe there would, you know, there's a sort of psychological moment as the year changes and everyone sort of feels like it's a fresh start. And that was sort of taken away from us. Uh, were you ever nervous about getting on calls or uh, demotivated or just sort of thought, I, you know, I'm, I'm, my hands are slightly tied with this because I'm being given ever-changing guidelines. And I think certainly with retail, also with health clubs and gyms, you know, all the signage that has to go up, all the changes physically to the stores, the investment in terms of keeping your team and customers safe, being told you can open and then you can't. I mean, it's so difficult to plan more than a day ahead. I just am interested as to whether, you know, that, you know, in motivating everyone else, were there moments where you, you know, sort of stared at the wall and thought, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, no, I mean, completely. I think at the end, I mean, to be completely honest, I I, I remember like a couple of times that I really cried because, you know, you have you really have to motivate, you know, the entire team. And there's a hundred people in the head office, 500 team, you know, retail associates. We also have a big team in our warehouse. And I remember recording like a message to everyone at Christmas. Um, And I think it's difficult because, you know, I've been telling the teams, okay, lockdown one is done. Now we're back on track. You know, it's going to be fine. And then you have lockdown two. And then, you know, when no one is expecting and you've been telling your team for months, don't worry because Christmas is coming and we are, you know, the number one gift destination store. We're going to make it up at Christmas. And actually, to be honest, until end of October, we were in a really good position. Um, and, you know, to see all that advance in sales and in success completely vanish and disappear over Christmas time was difficult. So I recorded my message, I think, on the 31st of December. And, you know, it was difficult for me because I almost had to come back on everything else that I had promised. I mean, of course, these these things are not in my hands and completely they are out of my control. You know, what the government decides in the pandemic, it was, you know, everyone was completely affected in the same manner. 
But, you know, I just had to pass on that motivational message. So it was a very personal message. And I think people, you know, realize that, you know, I'm also a human and it's also difficult for me. I, I personally also, I found myself with, you know, my two daughters at home homeschooling. So I think it's just, you know, it's okay because you're also a human and your team needs to see that you also have, you know, it's, it's difficult for everyone. But of course, you're not going to cry in front of them. You're always going to give that positive message. But I really have had some downs and I really remember recording, you know, that motivational message at Christmas. And but I think we, we are coming out of this crisis stronger because we, we learn how to react really quickly. Um, the team has managed to adjust and, you know, we, we were able to shift our business and we've We've done some things that, you know, we wanted to do before the pandemic and that we've accelerated. So I think everyone, you know, I mean, of course, there's been some difficult stories and very difficult moments, but we've all learned, we've all grown. And as we say, what doesn't kill you really makes you stronger. So I think, you know, I will take that from, you know, this entire period. And there's still maybe, you know, some bumps on the road, but now we know how to really manage the business with agility and um, and with that uncertainty. But yeah, it was very difficult. There were times that were really difficult for me personally. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, for businesses that have been fortunate enough to survive the last 18 months, there's absolute clarity on what the business is, what the business needs to do, what the approach is, because there just hasn't been any room, you know, to not do that. It's almost been sort of forced. Um, so I agree with you. I think that the... I really do think that this that post COVID will be um, at the moment. It's this sort of like panacea that everyone's working towards, but I do think that it is. It, it does seem very positive. Um, you're you're a woman. You're in a, an amazing job as a managing director. Although it sounds controversial, and I'm probably at risk of sounding a bit like Jordan Peterson, in theory, historically, there has never been a better time to be a woman in business. Do you think? Do you think that that's true? What's your? What's the reality for you of working your way up as a woman in business in 2021? Do you think the opportunities? Are there? I mean, you would be evidence that that they are there. But I'm interested in what you think as a business um, with quite a, presumably a, a more of a female audience um, mm -hmm. or a female consumer, um, probably a, a, a variation within your team of men and women. Um, but for you personally, do you feel that there are still many, many barriers, or do you think that it's getting better for women? I mean, you know, I think it's interesting because, you know, we definitely, you know, don't ask this question to a man, you know, how is it to 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 work your way up as a man in business? And, and the fact that we still have this conversation, you know, shows that there is definitely still way to go because, you know, there should be no distinction and, and, and really between men and women. But I, I definitely think, having said that, that being a woman today, is an opportunity and we've made, you know, some progress already. I mean, if I, if I um, think of, you know, when my father was in business, I mean, you know, I don't remember at his level, any woman or very, very few that, you know, had big roles. And I think now we see more and more women and I think definitely there are more opportunities. Um, so 
I think things are going in the right direction. But I, 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 what I would say is that what is important to me is that being a, a woman, you know, in this position, I really see my role um, almost like I have, you know, two responsibilities. And I think the first one is to show other women, you know, in the organization or, you know, around me or even, you know, to my, my, my two daughters that it is possible you can be a woman, you can also be a, a mother and you can have a big role. I'm not saying that, you know, I don't uh, juggle and, you know, that's, uh, you know, there are some days that are more difficult than others, but it is possible. It's just to tell women you have a choice and the choice is in your hands. And if you want to do it, you can. So you really have the choice uh, to make those decisions for yourself. And probably my second task or responsibility is definitely, and this is something I absolutely enjoy and love in my job, is to really spot young talents, young uh, uh, and future uh, women leaders that you know we 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 grow and 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 really develop and um and yeah and 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 preparing you know for the next generation actually to 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 take those big roles and this is really these are really my two responsibilities but i you know i still think there's definitely that that cleavage and that gap between men and women because we still ask those questions and we still think oh actually wow you know she's a woman she's a mom and she has that role where we should actually you know not even think about that and about my, my my gender. So there's still way to go, but I, I think there are opportunities and we also have, you know, a role to play as women uh, to to really, you know, have, have a, a better future for women in, in leadership roles. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really, really sage advice because a lot of the narrative in the past is that, you know, you can have it all, but just not at the same time and that women have to sort of make a choice and we're all completely screwed over by our biological clocks and and there's this expectation of um you know the sequencing of what we're capable of doing and 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 to your point you know there will be difficult days there is juggling you probably need yeah. help it probably helps if you have a devoted partner it helps if you can afford some sort of childcare you know of course all those things exist but actually it is possible and i think that's really important and you know i was talking to um Victoria Pru, who founded the fashion rental company uh, platform, her, and she was saying for when she saw Whitney IPOing Bumble, for her, it was some that someone's done that. So it is yeah. possible. And it's not necessarily that um, that's exactly what she foresees for herself, you know, the specifics of that deal. It's not, you know, precisely what she wants to, to achieve, but it's the idea that it is possible. And that's really reassuring. And I agree with you that I think if women are, um, if women are tackling the conversation by demonstrating that we don't have to choose between these things, they can coexist and it's possible and it's feasible. And, and to your point, you know, choosing and nurturing talent and, you know, passing on those, uh, those ideas to them or those ideologies for them to subscribe to so that, you know, in their journey, they also think that's possible. I think that's a really, really important, really important point. Um, what is the best piece of advice that you've been given about running a business? And and who is it from? I mean, I, I, I have several mentors and, and definitely several people that I admire in business. I think um, there's several, I mean, but the key people I think and, the, and that have inspired me, I mean, our CEO, the mindset is really about being an entrepreneur, being very agile, taking, you know, quick decisions 
And I think that's really helped me during the pandemic because, and before the pandemic, actually, I had made sure that, you know, I have a quite flat and lean structure. So I really, you know, as we said, touch on every single department. So you can take a very quick decision and you, you really have that, you know, flexibility to make a, um, an impact there. So I think that's the, the first piece of advice. And that's really important to have that agility and to take, you know, quick business decisions. The second um, piece of advice, and I think, you know, that's my first mentor probably is my father because he was a very successful businessman. And he told me really surround yourself with people that can lift you up, you know, that are talented and that are really skilled at what you do. And if you you know, promote your team, your company and your boss, you're going to do well, then, you know, you're going to grow with them. So, um, and I think, you know, that's something that, you know, I, I mean, it's difficult because you never, you know, recruitment is not a, a science, but, you know, really to surround yourself with, you know, with people that are, are talented. Um, but I think what is, you know, even more important, and that's maybe more something that I acquired myself, you know, with experience, is that, yes, you need to surround yourself with people that can lift you up, you know, that that have, you know, that are really um, skilled at what they do. But you need to surround yourself that with people that share the same values, uh, that share the same ethos, that that are caring leaders and that show empathy to their teams. And that's been absolutely critical during the pandemic because we, and I'm very lucky because my team, I can say that, you know, all my directors and heads of department, all are incredibly caring leader, you know, cheerleaders really, and that have been able, you know, to keep their teams motivated. So for me, this would be the the, the best piece of advice to really also surround yourself with people that share the same values and same principles. Yeah, really, really good advice. Do you find time, I mean, maybe not in the last year or so, but do you find time to enjoy the achievements and the and the wins? Um, or is it just a relentless pursuit to sort of always be doing better and always setting new, new ambitious targets? I don't know if my team would say, uh, you know, would have a different opinion because maybe they would they would tell you oh, it's a it's a constant pursuit, uh, you know, for <laughs> for business. But no, I think we've always and pre-COVID and since I joined, we've always taken time to celebrate achievements, and we have quite a lot of various occasions where we actually celebrate team achievements. So we have a monthly business update, you know, where we gather all the team, and during the pandemic, we invited to the the business monthly update, you know, even the retail team, the team from the warehouse. So there's really, you know, that togetherness feeling while, you know, being um, apart, physically apart. Um, we have twice a year our retail conference where, you know, there's a, a, an award ceremony and, you know, there's the, the different stores that win awards, but also people that have made a special contribution to the business. Um, and we've kept that during the pandemic. So we've made them virtual. I mean, you know, you have to do with what you can, you know, the, you, we, we couldn't gather physically. So, but we've kept them. Um, and, um, and, and, and we have also like a lot of, um, we have, of course, our Christmas party, and this year was virtual, but we still maintained it with with the raffle. And we have some charity team activities. For example, we've done, you know, we have beach cleanings. I mean, we haven't done them. The, we haven't done this last year because we couldn't. But we've been running also to find against avoid, avoidable blindness. So, and 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 we've celebrated. And then there were a competition, and the team was crazy about, you know, who has the most points. So we really have those moments together where, you know, we celebrate, we come together, we. 
we love and we, we have competition and, and we've kept them in the calendar. And we've even like, you know, invited more people to join because we felt it was important to involve also the retail team and the warehouse team. So we are in this, you know, we, we are one. We really are one. What have you found to be the biggest myth or assumption about running a business and, and has it stacked up to be true? Um, I think that's a really good question. I, I don't think I had um, any assumption really or you know preconceived idea on the role. Uh, I think I was probably just over impressed with the size of the role and, you know, a bit scared, you know, oh my God, I'm going to be, you know, am I going to perform well? Am I going to do a good job? But I think I was really nicely surprised because my previous experience with L'Occitane was in Geneva where, you know, I was part of the head office and looking after international market and travel retail, but really part of, you know, the, the head office and close to to all sorts of, uh, of different teams. And being the managing director of the UK and our, uh, of the UK and Ireland, I didn't realize that you know we we were going to have you know almost we were functioning like you know not in, I mean we're not completely independent because of course you know we 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 implement you know the strategy of international and so on but we have a very um, a nice autonomy that I find incredible and we are lucky in a way because we have that trust and because our market is quite different, for example, to France or, you know, to some other markets, we really have that room to have, you know, our own, for example, you know, we've done our our, our local brand movie. I mean, we're doing a lot um, in terms of charities, but we, we give to local charities in line with the L'Occitane Key Commitment, but really locally. So I think I had no idea that, you know, we were going to have that impact and to have that autonomy, which I think is really enjoyable. Um, and probably I think the other thing I would say is that, you know, everything comes with the experience because, as I said, I was probably, you know, very impressed with the role and almost a bit scared and nervous. But at some point, you just have to, you know, be thrown in the, in the water, learn how to swim and, you know, just things will come with the experience and, you know, people tell you certain things about, you know, being a GM or an MD, but in reality, you have to forge your own experience and everything, you know, comes with, you know, just rolling your sleeves and, and you know, and, and doing things. And, um, and yeah, it was probably the swim was a bit more wavy than expected with COVID and Brexit. But, you know, other than that, it's, it's really a fantastic, uh, uh, you know, experience and learning for me. How do you make sure that you continue to keep learning? Do you listen to podcasts? Do you read? Do you talk to your mentors? Have you got a process for making sure that you're continuing to learn? I, I think I learn I learn from everything and every day. I learn, you know, from my children, from events that I attend, webinars. I read a lot of articles on the industry. Um, I'm lucky in my role because I meet quite a lot of people. Uh, we're part of the French Chamber. And, you know, two weeks ago, we had a lunch with, you know, just a, a bunch of incredible and inspiring women. There was the, the French ambassador, uh, but also women that, you know, have incredible careers that are engineers and, you know, that are the head of an electric company. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, that's really incredible. Um, I think I've learned a lot, you know, from 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 the events, from the pandemic, because, you know, we just had to reinvent ourselves constantly. Um, so that was, you know, an, an accelerator, an accelerator of learnings. 
Um, but yeah, you have to remain constantly curious. Um, I used to travel a lot in my previous roles at L'Occitane, but also at Coach. You learn from trips, even if now we can no longer travel. But, you know, I used to travel a lot and I've learned so much from the different countries that, you know, I, 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 I traveled to and I was really lucky to discover all those, you know, different cultures and country. And, and you know, I've, I've now, you know, lived in the UK for the past year and I, I learned also to work with a different culture. And I think cultural differences are just fascinating. And for me, this is something that, you know, is really interest, interesting. So, um, but I am an extrovert, so I definitely I nurture myself from you know, the contact with, with other people. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's, you know, the, the, the biggest thing for me, but, you know, you also learn from your mistake and you mistakes and you try not to replicate them. So I think a bit of everything in summary. <laughs> no, it's good advice. Get out there, be curious, you know, look for stuff. It doesn't necessarily always come to you. It's good yeah, advice. Exactly. Do you, um, how do you define success? Do you do you think there's now a standard um, for overnight success? I know obviously Instagram is a, a substantial um, marketing platform for lots of businesses, but equally lots of young entrepreneurs. And I think you know your your story that you shared with me today is indicative of the fact that it takes time and learning and exposure and understanding and you've really got to do the 10,000 hours and graft and no one's sort of showing up uh, on day one with, with that access. Do, do you think that there's uh, a misleading standard now in terms of what success is for, for young entrepreneurs or for young people who want to ascend quickly within businesses? I mean, it's a really good question because I'm just in the <laughs> in the midst of my reforecast and re reassessing, you know, where we're going to land for the year. So, I think, you know, first of all, how how do we how do we how do I define success? Um, so my boss probably would say, you know, sales and profit, because, you know, of course, that's that's uh, sometimes, you know, how you're rated uh, in the business. I mean, that's one that's one of the components really of success because and what what we need to understand is that yes you need sales and profit because you need to reinvest in the business you need to reinvest in the brand you need to reinvest in people so of course you need to make you know the right level of sales and 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 a bit of profit because you have to reinvest and to have a sustainable and long term business so that's one um but for me you know equally the team really and 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 how the team is thriving defines success if the team is happy you know, if they are growing, um, if they, they, you know, if they enjoy working for the brand. Recently, we won Great Place to Work uh, Award, which, you know, is fantastic, not just because we won the award, but it was great to see that actually people love working for L'Occitane in the UK and in Ireland. And, they, you know, we are doing, you know, a, you know, obviously a, a quite good job. So that's really, that's really, I think, important for me. Uh, but I think your customers really define define your success. You know, if they are going to, Think of the brand uh, L'Occitane, top of mind as a lovely, you know, natural cosmetic brand that you know they, they really uh, love and enjoy, and, and they love the product. So, um, so I think that would really be how I would personally define success, you know, for for L'Occitane and for me. But you know, you mentioned the overnight success stories. I think there's definitely you know strong appetite for you know there's a lot of new brands. We probably see like a new cosmetic brand every day from a celebrity or from influencers, and they have a very very different business model to ours because they are really you know um, created by big influencers. If we speak about Kylie Cosmetics or Glossier, they were 
you know, initially, I mean, they have millions of followers online. So their business model is completely different to ours. I, I think, you know, there's space for, you know, these brands that are, you know, incredible and successful. And there's a lot that we can learn from, but we cannot replicate our strategy and our business model model to that because we have a very different story to tell. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, lo, you know, L'Occitane um, is a natural beauty brand. Uh, uh, you know, born in 1976 in Provence, uh, a very traditional, offering well-being, sensoriality, high-quality ingredients. Um, and sustainable and committed to nature and people. So that is what we stand for. We are not, you know, a very flashy and very makeup brand and we 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 don't have an influencer uh, behind the brand. So it's a very different story and we have to be careful. But there there are lots of learnings and I think those brands are very interesting for what they have they have built. You mentioned about success really more through the lens of the business. For you personally, what does success look like? Is it managing your time with your family and balance and doing a job that's fulfilling? Is it, you know, is there a personal piece? And and when you got this job, did you feel like you ticked a big, you know, a, a big box off that list of, of success for you in your life? I mean, I've always been ambitious and career hungry. So, you know, definitely, I think my happiness and you know, my fulfillment and I see myself happy if I have a job and a role that, you know, I find really interesting and fulfilling like the one that I have today. So, I, you know, I can say it. I think this role is, you know, the best role I've ever had. I enjoy it like every day. I, you know, I enjoy going to work. I enjoy, you know, the meetings I attend. Uh, I love working with my team. So I'm very lucky. I feel very privileged. But that's definitely contributing to my happiness and, and you know, success as, as a woman and, you know, as a, as a person. But it's also equally important that, you know, you balance it out with, you know, with family. I have two daughters and, you know, I... I uh, I wasn't sure I was going to be a, a fantastic mother because that was maybe not something very uh, natural um, uh, for me. But um, but uh, yes, I, I absolutely love spending time with my daughters. Um, you know, I love, you know, uh, doing the school run. Uh, and, you know, sometimes when I can, you know, of course, you know, I, I take them to their activities. But, you know, it has to be a balance and, you know, everyone is very different. But for me, those moments are really privileged. And when, you know, when I'm back at home at seven o'clock or, you know, when we have dinner, I'm focused on the children and on the family and on, you know, debriefing of the day and so on. So when I'm at work, I'm fully at work, fully focused. And when I'm at home and with my daughters, I really try to have quality time with them. So for me, happiness really is the is a balance. And, you know, sometimes you struggle because the day is very busy. But I think this is, you know, what, what for me would define that. And of course, you're also, you know, you're also a woman and you have your moments with your husband and you have also your friends. So, you know, we squeeze in things when we can sometimes, but, uh, you know, it's a balance of everything and you have to, you have to, to fulfill all these, uh, these, these aspects of your life, really. It's important, mm -hmm. not just about work. Yeah. You mentioned earlier on that you're, agenda for your day is literally minuted and which I've probably ruined by now going slightly over time but I promise uh, I'll, I'll, okay. I'll let you go in a minute Enjoying and carry it. on with your day um but but with that in mind productivity can be quite challenging and yeah. um one of the pieces of advice I was given was to run my day in minutes because if something takes 45 minutes and you've allocated an hour you'll find something to do for 15 minutes to waste time so actually 
um, running it in minutes is a much more productive way to use the time. If you had an extra hour in the day, if you found the 25th hour, what would you use it for? Sports, meditation. <laughs> you know, it's very funny because every, you know, 1st of January, one minute past midnight, I'm like, okay, you know, this is my wish list. I'm going to do like this year, definitely, you know, I'm going to do yoga. I'm going to do more Pilates, da, da, da. And I think by the 10th of January, the resolution has vanished because, you know, it's, you know, you go back to your day-to-day -day and hectic life and, you know, and, and, and very back-to-back -back agenda. But yeah, definitely I would do more things for me that, you know, do, do me well, like, you know, sports or even like, you know, a massage or, you know, things like that. Yeah, the New Year's resolution is such a good point. Every year it gets more extreme. This year I'm like, I'm going to be, I'm going to learn judo and I'm going to become a sommelier. And it's like, what are you doing? And a few years ago it was just like, I'm going to try and, you know, not eat chocolate after 7pm. And then it just literally it gets more and more extreme. And it's like inversely proportional to the date at which you give up. It's like by the 2nd of January now, you're like, no, 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 I should just be myself and just lower my expectations of my own abilities. You need to start with small ambition because otherwise, you know, you're never going to achieve the goals. So uh, start no. small. <laughs> yeah, good advice. Um, so what, what's, what's next for the business and what's next for you? What can we expect to see, um, you know, in, in the next year? So what's what's next for L'Occitane? I mean, L'Occitane is uh, very ambitious in terms of, you know, being a, a business that is giving back and that, you know, has a positive impact on the planet. So by 2023, L'Occitane at a corporate level is aiming to be a B Corp certification, which is, you know, quite tough uh, accreditation to get. And it's encouraging companies for more transparencies and to hit certain number of, you know, criterias, environmental, HR, and so on. So it's quite tough to get, but, you know, it's, it's the way to go because while we've championed causes like biodiversity, climate change, and, you know, working with our communities for, for and producers for a long time, there's more we can do and we should do more, you know, to really... Um, Uh, ensure that there's a better future for everyone. So, um, so that's really the goal for uh, for L'Occitane as, as a corporate business to be a B Corp company, and we're on track um, to do that. Locally, there's a lot that we are doing. Um, we also fo focus a lot on the commitments of of L'Occitane, but we're trying to act locally. So we have a lot coming up in terms of reducing waste. We're going to have beach cleaning over the summer. Uh, we have our refill fountains that are going to come to store where customers will be able to simply have, you know, a, a, a long-term uh, bottle that they can, uh, you know, they can uh, have their, 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 their shower oil, for example, or their favorite shampoo, you know, without using a bottle. So it's just like a bottle that you constantly refill to store. So that's coming up uh, this summer as well. Uh, in terms of diversity focus, we're doing quite a lot on, on diversity and inclusion. We have now a committee and we have brought in a consultant to give us more direction, you know, on what are the priorities for us to tackle because we want to do more in that area. In terms of the brand more, you know, in terms of the branding, uh, we are working now on another Uh, local movie, uh, as I said uh, at the beginning of our chat, you know, we did how to pronounce and say L'Occitane uh, two years ago. Last year, we we had a movie on what the brand stands for with, you know, focus on the commitments. And now we're working on the third one. So I, I can't release too much and it's still work in progress. But that's a, a big project for us. 
And in terms of innovation, in terms of product, uh, we have a very exciting relaunch of our, you know, hero product reset in September. So that's and that's with the new extracts found in the immortal flower. So that's uh, going to be a, a really nice one. And um, for me, I, I'm not quite sure. You know, I've learned to take um, to to take uh, life and and work, you know, step by step with what's happened. And, uh, you know, as I said, I think when I joined, the biggest hurdle was going to be Brexit. And, um, you know, it's COVID then happened and it's been the biggest accelerator of, of learnings. But if if we could have just a year without too many disruption and a more normal year, and I just want to enjoy, you know, the business and work and, and life, you know, without lockdowns and things like that, I I would just be happy. So for me, this year is going to be really more about, you know, collecting the work that we've been doing for two years in a very difficult and challenging environment and just, you know, having a normal year. So that would be amazing. Well, I, you know, I very much wish you, wish you all the best for that. I know it's been an incredibly you, challenging 18 months and, you know, by the sounds of things, you're absolutely the best person to have brought everyone through the pandemic and it's I'm really really grateful to to have this time with you for you to share what you've learned I think it's there is there are so many things in what you've said that are applicable to people at all different stages of their journey and I think it's really inspiring to encourage people that they can do it all and they can go for the the big jobs and they can have those bigger focuses and apply systems and processes in order to to ladder up to that and i think that's a really important message so thank you very much for, for, for your time today thank you very much emily for having me thank you so much 